Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of September 21st, Reactions to the FOMC. I'm your host, Dan Creer, here with Dan Belton with our immediate takeaways from the September FOMC meeting. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. Well, Dan, recording just minutes after Chairman Powell left the podium, and I think from a high level, not a whole bunch new from the Fed today, though we did get some pretty notable swings throughout the process here today. I guess we could start with the statement, really nothing there, don't need to spend any time there. I think you know, even the Chairman's message throughout the press conference was pretty unchanged from Jackson Hole. It seems like all we're left to really overanalyze here from the September FOMC is the dot plot. Yeah, I mean, he said it right when he started the Q&A. His answer to the first question he prefaced with, my main message is the same as it was in Jackson Hole. And I felt like he really just reiterated a lot of his message from that speech. And it was a very short speech and it was very to the point. And so there wasn't really a whole lot to add. So you're right. The dots was really the only main takeaway. And I think once that became clear that Powell wasn't going to offer anything new, either in terms of near-term guidance, he didn't really offer anything when asked about the likely moves at the upcoming meetings in November and December. So there wasn't a whole lot for the market to take away. I think if you're going to look at the dots, they might have skewed very, very slightly hawkish. I mean, the 2022 dot showing a median rate of 425 to four and a half. That was maybe a little bit higher than I was expecting. I was thinking probably four to four and a quarter, maybe four and a quarter to four and a half. And that's what we ended up getting. But if you peel back that median dot, it was 10 to nine. So one voter could have swung that lower. So not a whole lot to take away from that dot. And then later on, the dots projected three cuts in 2024. I thought that was somewhat meaningful, even though it's a couple years down the road, seemingly at odds with the Fed's recent messaging it's going to keep rates very restrictive for a long period of time. Yeah, really a nightmare scenario for me. I'm pretty on record with how much I hate the SCP, but I guess that's what we have to do with today's episode. So, I mean, yeah, so I do think it's notable the initial risk off, which was more significant than I than I would have expected to the hawkish SCP. We saw equities 1.5% lower peak to trough interday. IGCDX was out three plus basis points between the release of the SCP and the start of the press conference. So obviously the market's initial reaction was quite hawkish on the dot plot. But for the reasons you just laid out, it was really just one voter that kind of swung the median there. Had that one voter been lower, uh, the median would have dropped. I think that realization is why we then saw risk assets coming all the way back and with IGCDX actually touching intraday lows as Powell talked. And he didn't really offer anything dovish. There was nothing dovish there. It was just the market realized that really the SCP wasn't as hawkish as perhaps we initially thought. And yeah, the cuts in 2024, one questioner pointed this out. You know, you don't have course CPI getting back to target until 2025, except then you have potential cuts in 2024. And Powell's response was, well, it's close. It's 2.1%. So it's a tenth off. I mean, it's like, all right, we're just, 
way overanalyzing these dots. Like the chair always says at these press conferences, they're just medians. There's no planning. There's no vote. They're just they just publish what is put in. And so I think any attempts to interpret them, particularly given their track record for accuracy here in the last year, is probably an exercise in futility. Yeah, I think you and I differ on our view on the dots. I think they're moderately interesting, but I completely agree they're overanalyzed. And right after the dots were published, Fed funds futures immediately really priced the dots. End of year Fed funds pricing after the SEPs were published really came in line with the 125 basis point median projection after being kind of split between 100 and 125. Like we said, that median was really reflective of a 10-9 split. So I think that's very much an overreaction to a split committee. Yeah, and clearly the market came to the same conclusion given the big risk on trade. It is then worth noting that toward the end of the press conference, risk assets started selling off again, IGCDX moving back to the middle of the range to now wider on the day. So I guess that begs the question, once we had the initial sell-off and then recovery in risk, once we realized it was an overreaction to the SEPs, what are you attributing the sort of later move in risk off to? So I thought really the only hawkish thing that Powell said in the press conference, really the only meaningful new development here, was he said that today we've just moved into the very lowest level of what might be considered restrictive and that there's still a ways to go. So I think that could have driven some of that subsequent risk off. But I don't think there was a whole lot there because we were coming from a policy rate of 2.25 to 2.5. That is probably about neutral. And so moving today into you know the lowest level of restrictive, we're probably 75 basis points into what the Fed has deemed restrictive territory in previous messaging. So maybe that's not the very lowest level, but still, I didn't take too much away from that statement. Yeah, I'll agree with you broadly there. I too was surprised at the way they chose to convey that, being at the very lowest levels of restrictive, but I guess that's not really false either. So it seemed more hawkish than it was, and the market didn't really interpret that, at least from where I'm sitting, as as overly hawkish. It wasn't until the very end of the press conference when we saw risk assets start to drop again. And I think it coincided with a relatively vague statement from Powell when talking about the housing market that we needed to see a housing market correction or something to that effect. Um, I think maybe that caused some jitters, but again, potentially an overreaction, or maybe it's neither and just the broader tone of the Fed's commitment to fighting inflation caused a bit of a sell-off. I mean, I don't want to overanalyze that either. So let's move on to the press conference, Dan, unless you have anything else on the SCPs. No? Okay. So I think there's one clear headlining coming from the press conference, really the only notable takeaway that I had. And that came on a question that the chair fielded on the possibility of the Fed selling mortgages out of their portfolio to accelerate balance sheet normalization. And not only did Chair Powell say that they weren't going to do that, he was extremely forceful in doing so, said we're not actively considering that, and I don't think that we'll be considering it anytime soon. Coming into today's FOMC meeting, that was what I was on the lookout for most. I, I was starting to wonder after last week's CPI print if the Fed would start to potentially emphasize alternative methods of putting the brakes on the economy. It is, after all, the first time that the Fed is meaningfully fighting inflation in an ample reserve regime. And so as a result, potentially, they need to consider alternative methods of getting inflation under control. So I certainly didn't think that they were going to make any meaningful steps towards asset sales here today. But I thought maybe in November, December, that would start to creep into the discussion a bit. After today, that seems like not only is that not going to happen in the near term, it may never happen. Yeah, I was more expecting it 
to be a potential tool that they use next year once they've kind of slowed down their rate hikes or stopped rate hikes and looking for additional ways to slow down the economy, slow down inflation. But like you said, his answer was pretty definitive. It made it seem like that's not really on the table, at least not anytime soon. So it makes the prospect of selling mortgages, to me at least, a lot less likely than it was before today. Yeah, and that's remarkable in two ways. If you put it in the context of Chair Powell saying or insinuating that the housing market needed to correct here, one way to do that would certainly be to potentially sell mortgage backs. They're not going to do that. But secondly, one of the reasons I thought maybe the Fed would start talking about it is because the Fed could certainly tighten financial conditions just by talking about potentially selling mortgages, even if they never actually do so, just the threat or specter of it would certainly increase mortgage rates. That would likely spill over into other risk assets and, and tighten financial conditions and start to halt inflation without ever having to actually even do that. So I thought maybe that would be a way the Fed could sort of additionally tighten financial conditions. But I think at this point, it seems clear that even that is too much of a Pandora's box for the Fed. They don't want to go anywhere near it. And now I don't think they ever will. Yeah, I agree. I was a little bit surprised that he was so definitive in it because like you said, it's a tool that they could have kept. They didn't have to necessarily use it. But by dismissing it as an option like Powell really effectively did today, at least to some extent, it seems to take away the potential threat of that tool. Yeah, I mean, it would only enter into discussion again now if I think by March of next year, we haven't seen any meaningful improvement in inflation. The Fed will at that point be having to, to have discussions like that. But Assuming that's not the case, I think the prospect of mortgage sales is, for all intents and purposes, sort of dead now. And that should have some spillover effects for all credit spreads, really. I mean, mortgage spreads should certainly perform on the back of this news, which should also put downward pressure on other high-quality asset classes as well, because that's certainly been hanging over the mortgage market really since April. And while this isn't a complete removal of that risk, I think it's a pretty meaningful step towards reducing that. Otherwise, Dan, I, I really didn't have a whole lot from the press conference. I mean, anything else that you saw that's worth talking about? I thought the discussion around the prospect of a soft landing was interesting. We talk about this after most press conferences. Today, he said it would be very challenging. And I thought it was interesting. It made it very clear how he's viewing it, I think, as sort of a paradox. Because on one hand, he keeps talking about how fighting inflation is going to require both a sustained period of below-trend growth and also a softer labor market. And he very clearly was avoiding using the word recession. But to me, that is effectively what he's talking about, that fighting inflation is going to require effectively a recession, a sustained period of below trend growth. And so he was asked specifically about the prospect of a recession. And he said, well, I'm not sure what the odds are of a recession right now, but we do need to see a period of below trend growth. So while a soft landing is going to be very challenging by his own admission, a soft landing would almost also reflect the Fed not having completed their job or inflation having subsided really on its own without the Fed's doing because the Fed needs to slow down the economy. They need to effectively cause a recession, even if Powell's not using that word. So I thought that was very interesting. It, it seems very clear to me that a soft landing is, is incredibly elusive by the way that Powell is thinking about the Fed's goal right now. The question I have that's probably most pertinent for spreads at this point is, I think that that optimism is fully priced into spreads. So whether or not this is a soft landing or the beginning of a soft landing, I think 
where credit spreads are right now is pricing in a soft landing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. If credit spreads are trading, you know, at or inside long-term averages, which clearly doesn't reflect a three percent to three and a quarter percent Fed funds rate. It doesn't reflect inflation that's elevated and a Fed that's unwinding its balance sheet in a very aggressive manner. So it's clear to me that spreads are pricing in the most optimistic scenario. And there's some other reasons for that. I mean, technicals, especially in recent sessions, have been very supportive. But I think into year end, and you and I are probably in agreement on this fact, in the year end, credit spreads are going to have to move wider to reflect the macro realities that are facing the asset class. Yeah. And and to bring it back to the Fed for a second, I mean, he talked a bit about the evolution of Fed policy and they asked about cutting rates in 2024 and he said we wouldn't consider reducing the rate until we saw clear and substantial evidence. Basically, we were certain that inflation was back down to target. Whether it's a recession now or not, if the slowdown continues, which I think we have every expectation that it will or potentially worsens from here, the Fed isn't going to be immediately switching over. There's still a long, long way to go. Sure, we'll get to a point where we pause, but the increase in interest rates in the past year is now going to really start being felt by borrowers paying higher borrowing costs. Of course, that's going to be a slow mechanism. Obviously, so much debt was termed out during COVID and the ensuing very low rate interest rate environment. But the longer we're here, the more and more that's going to start impacting balance sheets, at least on the margin. So I am with you. We are priced to the best case scenario. Maybe counterintuitively, I'm actually becoming more and more convinced that soft landing is possible rather than less and less. I thought it was impossible a couple months ago. But given how resilient the labor market has been, I'm starting to think otherwise. And it feels to me like the market's the other way, thinking that a soft landing was very possible. And now they seem to think that the odds of that are coming down. Yeah, I'll take the other side of that as well. I think that the stubbornness of inflation, particularly what we saw in the August CPI report, that's making me much less convinced that a soft landing is possible. I mean, we haven't seen inflation come down virtually at all, 0.6% month over month in core CPI. I think the Fed's going to have to continue to be aggressive, and it's possible that policy rates have to continue going higher than the market's expecting right now. I mean, we have 4.5% as the terminal rate from the Fed SEPs. I think if we continue to see inflation not really budge and, and continue to be driven higher and higher, we could see a 5% policy rate. That's not out of the question to me. And and until we start to see inflation come down, I don't think the strength in the labor market is necessarily going to be enough to keep the economy going because that needs to come off, as Powell said. No matter how strong it is, until inflation starts to come down, I think it's kind of a wash, the strong inflation with the strong labor market, because the Fed's going to have to tamp it down. Yeah, I suppose this is more a commentary on where expectations were going in. When I was at a 0% chance two months ago, I guess it's hard for me to have uh, even lower expectations now. So, I, I mean, I guess we can wrap up here on the Fed. I Really just not much to take away from today, all things considered. They're not going to sell mortgages, though, which is certainly the biggest takeaway and should be, you know, modestly supportive of credit spreads going forward. Before we sign off, why don't we just talk very briefly about IG Supply here in September because it has come in much lighter than expectations. This week is going to be a continuation of that. We came into the week with expectations for 15 to 20 billion. So far, we have 1 billion. And all of weekly supply basically is going to come down to tomorrow. And I don't have high expectations for what's going to come tomorrow. Maybe a couple of deals if we're lucky. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Maybe a couple of deals. Certainly, we're not going to get the 18 or so billion that the market was expecting. And that means September is all but certain going to fall significantly lower than expectations. Expectations for the month were around 140 to 150 billion. After tomorrow, through the three weeks in September, 
we'll probably have something like 80 billion or so in supply. And that spells about 100 billion for the month. So about two thirds of what the market was actually expecting. So a couple ways to look at that. Higher rates are clearly weighing on issuance, but that technical support has really kept spreads fairly well anchored during this past volatile couple of weeks. Well, two important points. First, given how light September was, easily the lightest we have since 2016, I think the expectation for issuance for the remainder of the year has to come down. We already moved our formal projection for supply down to $1.3 trillion. I think it's going to come in lighter than that, but at this point, it's not meaningful enough maybe to move the expectation. It's going to still come in $1.25, somewhere around there, but definitely going to come in lighter than most market estimates coming into the year. And two, you're right. The technical is going to continue supporting spreads. I think that's why we've seen spreads performing so well in September despite a general risk-off attitude. But that technical tailwind will only last so long. Obviously, investors had cash sidelined, ready to be put to work into the large September supply wave that didn't really materialize. So that's going to be put to work in the secondary market. And once that money's gone and the technical tailwind dissipates, I think we're looking at wider spreads once again. Anything else, Dan, before we sign off? I think that covers it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.